welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. Uh, it's another show today, and we have Stuart and Matt Baker on hand here. Uh, missing Santiago um, in our hearts and our minds, and physically he's not here, of course. Uh, <laughs> Matt, how's it going, man? We'll start with you. It's going well. It's been a busy week. Exciting week. A lot of, a lot of action happening. Action? How so? Well, um, mostly for, I mean, city-related, It's it's been exciting to keep up with everything going on. Um, I've got a, a two-year-old birthday this weekend, so there's always something exciting happening, it seems, and running ragged oftentimes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big theme. I think at the end I'm going to touch on that, if you guys don't mind. Uh, but a tricycle was bought tonight, I heard. A tricycle was bought. Um, yeah, thank, thankfully she doesn't listen to the podcast, so... <laughs> I didn't just yes. out you. Right, right. So, no spoilers. No spoilers <laughs> happening on that one. Um, plus, it's a Halloween birthday. She was supposed to be born on Halloween, now the day before, so it's a it's a double feature weekend. Yeah, I like it. Man, that would be such a dick move if she listened to the uh, the uh, podcast. She Probably would hear that one word. Put it on, and yeah. <laughs> she'll hear that one word right at the beginning, and just start re re, re saying trike trike. Yeah, and, and hopefully not it. dick move, dick move. No, sorry yeah. about that. Uh, I assume no kids listen to this. I'm sure we're fine. Stuart, how's it going, man? <laughs> Uh, it's going good. Um, watching the uh, CONCACAF Champions League final here. Um, and so far, it's been a pretty good match. But, yeah, a lot going on, but I'm in good mood because Cincinnati blew a horrifically... Uh, well, they blew a lead in a horrific fashion. God. And um, I still... Man... Their fans were just such assholes when we were in USL together that I. It, Is it? I, mean, I, I can hold a grudge for a very long time. So <laughs> off mic, we were talking about whether or not I would support an NFL team if it came back to St. Louis, and this is my answer: I can hold a grudge for years and years and years. So, um, yeah, I, I Cincinnati will probably be really good by the time that. 2023 rolls around and all that. Right. Well, their fans were awful not just in, not just in USL, but in the the initial pushed MLS. It's like true. they've been terrible to just every step of the way. Yeah, that that's that's more where my animosity comes from, to be honest. Absolutely, and it is kind of deserved. But like what they've gone through, I don't know if I wish that on my worst enemy. It's I saw Brian Weigel. You know, I, I mentioned mm-hmm. the. Uh, um, and we'll talk about Alan Koch, the last South African MLS coach, right? And what could that have to do with anything? Right, right, right. <laughs> and uh, how he um, didn't have a very good go of it, but neither of the next two Dutch coaches either. So what does that say? Nationality might not mean anything in MLS. But uh, shortly after that, I saw Brian Weigel talk about the last 10 games they've lost. And every time they find a new way to, to lose, he just sounds so beaten down as a fan. How could you not? On a level that even a St. Louis FC fan might <laughs> feel bad for. <laughs> I mean, at least we had various levels of hope. We did. really. We really did, legitimately. This is really bad. I, f- I do feel bad for Brian. He's a good guy. There are, there, are some, there are some Cincy fans that I've interacted with who are, they seem nice, but. Yeah, it's, it's been It's bad. hard to get over some of that. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about the NFL thing and like, yeah, pretty what do you call it? Burning all the fields as you go. Salting Burn. the earth. Yeah. Salting the earth, That's burning the bridges. The NFL, until you brought up the financial side of it yeah. being good for our city. I don't know. I cut you off, Stuart. What were you going to say? I was just going to say with Cincinnati, it seems like the through line or the 
connecting thread to all the failed coaches is, um, you know, their team president. But, you know, yeah. since he's a partial owner, I don't think he's... President slash former GM. Former GM, yes, who I think is still making some of those decisions and mm. is a partial owner. So I don't think Bearding's going anywhere for a while. So so maybe we'll be fine. Maybe that's some one team we don't have to worry about. Problem is, I don't think we're going to be in the same conference as them. <laughs> so we won't get to beat up on them very often. Yeah, there was Vegas news dropped, so that affects, you know. Directly. Well, it affects us, but I think we've been stuck in the Western Conference you're right. since with Charlotte. Or without, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because Vegas will that. take Sacramento's spot. Yeah. Which that, Stu had a, a nice comment earlier off, off mic, but Vegas is seem, seemingly cementing themselves as Team 30 uh, every single day. Well, technically, are they Team 25 if they're taking Sacramento's spot? Yeah. The order <laughs> is all jumbled up. If they're taking their spot, they're 29. Like it also bothers me to no end that people are starting to refer to Charlotte as Team 28. Which yeah, is because they're horrifically wrong. They're team, team 30. Yeah. They were, they were the 30th team announced. Yep. Also, explain this. I haven't thought about it. Well, St. Louis was 27. It's Austin was 27. St. Louis, 28. Like, in order of announcing, you're an MLS team. Uh, then Sacramento. And then Charlotte. And then Sacramento lost their club. Uh, Burkle pulled out. And then it was a holding pattern, and now Vegas is on board. But because Charlotte has their ready-made stadium... Yeah. Slash <laughs> slash grass football field that they're turning into a turf football field for soccer. They're ready to go next year. They're the 28th team to take the field. And the order mostly is important because of expansion fees and personal pride. But, you know, when did the when did the check get cashed? Is I, that like, I mean, if you with, want, with Burkle, it never did. So. If you want to look at it as as Charlotte paid the 300 plus million dollars to get in as 28 and then we're paying the 200 million to get in as 29. I'm fine with that story. If that's I'm, the storyline you want to go with. Actually, that's good. But, you know, speaking of Eastern Conference teams that we may not have to worry about, not many of their moves have been incredible. Right. So far, Charlotte, Charlotte I'm talking about. Not that they've made a massive misstep yet, but it, what the, the, like the supporter group situation, the, you know, the Austrian player who. Oh, just that's you, your you mean just their like not their player signings, but just their overall like how they're going about business. Yes, you know, I, I would think have it's drastically different than what we've seen here in St. Louis. I feel we'd have to talk to their chief fan officer to really get boots on the ground feel. <laughs> I mean, was it Bronico? Is that their they they've signed five players now? Six? Oh gosh, are they up to that? Six um, or seven, I think, at this point. They just signed an Argentine and I can't remember. They signed his name. the first oh, player, then they signed Bronico, right? And then Fuch. they signed Fuchs. Yeah. Was their, yeah. Fuchs was their third, I think. And I think they've added a young player. And maybe in Argentina. They have, you're right. Okay. And that's, um, I mean, that doesn't sound bad, actually. So, so we'll see. Well, they're going to stack their roster in the expansion draft and then the super draft. Well, do we have an expansion draft? Yeah. Yeah, expansion draft and super draft. And that's another thing that'll be interesting. Because of all the order got jumbled up, um, what teams will be eligible? Because a team like uh, Sporting KC was not going to be 
was going to be protected from the expansion draft for us. Why? Because they, they had, had a, player, a taken player taken in the last expansion draft, and so you're oh. if you have somebody taken, then you're protected um, for the next one. I didn't realize that. I so, would assume they're just yeah. going to go with if you if you were taken by Austin, then you're protecting at Charlotte. If you're taken by Charlotte, you're protected against us. Okay. So that's why Charlotte's expansion draft will matter to us. It will, yeah. Because we'll know who we don't have a pick from. Yeah, we just want to have a um, high potential center back who has injury issues, <laughs> who used to be with the U.S. national team and has fallen by the wayside. Fallen by the um, Come up again like Nashville got with Zimmerman. So That's exact. I was thinking about him today. Uh, you have a specific player in mind, correct? Well, the one who fits the bill right there is Aaron Long. Yeah. But we'll see where he is in Literally two years. Literally today. Well, you we um, should touch on that. That's really interesting. Uh, but let's uh, we've got an order here. Um, let's wrap up the banter side of, of our podcast here and start talking about Aaron Hurd. I think has the most news and most chatter talked about on, on Twitter this week. Uh, let's start with the call-up to U.S. Youth National Team, the U-17 team, uh, for the games, the tournaments that are finally uh, being played by our youth um, set up some other teams other countries have been doing this and the u.s is finally um, getting back in it because of covid um, that is what it is I, i'm not going to complain about that uh, but aaron hurd's being called up and um, matt i think my favorite part of this is you brought up what img was, was saying about aaron um, recently in their articles yeah so with all the um the identification and everything that's been happening this year um IMG actually has, I think it was just recently, maybe this past week, released their kind of top player per age group um, that they're touting the best and the brightest um, from high school to collegiate, uh, depending on your age level. And as a, a class of 2025, Aaron Hurd is their top player in the country. That's crazy. And I, like, I, I, I say this with a little like trepidation because um, I, I dislike highly touting people too much. I don't know how we can avoid that necessarily with this kind of news. Yeah. Um, you know, Aaron Hurd is now the first player to wear the St. Louis City SC crest and get a call up to a national team. Mm -hmm. So it, I mean, it is as big of a deal as that. I mean, I understand that there's there's a lot that goes into how old he is and uh, you, you don't want to, you don't want to overhype somebody. He came to St. Louis City with hype um, to to anybody looking at at youth development and um, seeing him in Philadelphia with the Union. So you can't really get around that. Um, I think this is kind of the pinnacle of that, where you get the call up to the national team U17s, um, two age groups above where you are currently. And you're kind of labeled by IMG as the top player in your class as well. So it doesn't, I don't see how it could really get any more than that. No. Um, it's exciting for us to have that player and have him on our squad and going through our program. I, I think that in and of itself speaks a lot to Lutz, to yeah. the system that we have, uh, because it's, you know, you're used to, you're used to necessarily um, seeing college coaches and because we, we haven't had a, a pro academy uh, to the first division. So I'm a big Mizzou fan. So I'm used to the college coach and the recruiting and everything and knowing how the person in charge of the sporting department has to have that great relationship with the parents. They have to sell the parents on what 
you're doing for their child. And so obviously this is a, a huge indicator that Lutz is um, the kind of person that Aaron Hurd's family is putting trust in. Like they're, they're willing to go with his philosophy and follow his game plan for where he's gonna play Aaron, how long, how many minutes, you know, what opportunities is he gonna give him, where is he looking to go in the future, all of those things. And beyond just being excited for Aaron as a player, um, it's exciting for our system as a whole. And yeah, I mean, to add to that hype, I echo everything you just said, but to add to some of the hype, like he is in some ways proven, and I want to talk more later about like what we've seen from him, of course, before we get to hit a few more things, but like the fact that he was like the CONCACAF you know, player of the tournament in the with the Youth Gold Cup, like, gosh, like there's some proven um, things about him already that, yeah, lots of hype, lots of pressure. And I think we're going to touch on that, too, in a minute here. Stuart, what, what are some of your thoughts about Aaron Hurd and, and this call-up and, and maybe other things as well? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, shame on U.S. Soccer for getting the club name wrong on the press release. Yeah, but, what was it? Uh, they said St. Louis City FC instead of St. Louis City SC. But, Part of me kind of liked it, though. Um <laughs> Part of me died inside. That, yeah, that little FC was uh, was the Kavanaugh part of. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I just kind of laughed at it because I've I've seen that quite a few we, times. We've seen a few just outlets. Casual St. Yeah. Louis uh, social media calling messing it up or just saying St. Louis FC. But um, no, Aaron Aaron was the logical choice to be the first one. Um, I think we'll probably see. A couple other guys when the U16s get called up. Um, That's a good or point. Or the underage group. Because we've had a few players go through um, IDs and camps. And, yes. And so there's there's experience there with a, at that national team level. I was sad that more weren't called up because I think it's deserved. In one player especially. but Yeah, I think uh, Josh Marl yeah. get called up. Um, he better. But we'll, we'll see. There's, Is that there's time. He's... He's playing up he's also. 16, he's okay. 16, though, I believe. Oh, I think he's playing one year up, isn't he? Um, he's 16, he's in the right. Yes, and last year he was four, or 15, playing with the 19s At with St. Louis, uh, St. Louis FC's okay. academy. He's still playing up a level, um, up a year for City. Okay. Yeah, he was playing up four, and now he's playing up so one So you could get called up to the U16 team is what you're saying? Yeah, well, I expect he'll he'll get a call, and there'll okay. probably be some other ones. And um, uh, Ferguson, Nathan Ferguson, might too. But uh, with uh, Aaron, I fully expect him to play professionally at some point. But it does. Over the weekend, I watched um, Charlie Rankin play in the uh, Liga Latina oh, uh, um, league here in St. Louis for the final. And um, talking about Aaron just reminds me of the old big soccer days in which I would sit on there. And uh, Charlie Rankin was, at the time, going over to play with Hoffenheim as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. And this was, I don't know, 15 years ago, I guess. So anyways, uh, Rankin was the top of his age group at the time. So when Matt said that, Obviously, you know that's not a, it's not a guarantee. We want, no. but yeah. um, 
I, I do think Aaron will play professionally, and I hope he has a long and su- successful career. Um, but it, it can be hard to predict long-term how these things shake out. But We've dubbed you the podcast's official cynic, right? I think it's I, I think so, yeah. It's good for us. I'm not, this is not a bad way, a bad thing I'm, I'm talking about. We need it. That's a good... I, I'm glad I'm you usually said that. more optimistic when I'm not talking into a microphone. <laughs> when you're not on record. Um, you're I'm only not. optimistic coming out of those FX council meetings. I'm very optimistic, <laughs> yes. I would, I would they got a too. quote on me for that. Oh, that nice. Um, so the other rumor that came out that Matt was able to dig up was um, someone Spanish-speaking, seemed to be from Paraguay, it seemed like. I think so. talking about Paraguayan players, but... Um, mentioned some players that were called up to the camps and mentioned, of course, the tie to Bayer Leverkusen, uh, which is more fuel to the fire for the rumor of him going to Bayer Leverkusen at some point. Matt, what were you Which we've, you we've had that rumor floating around for a while um, through deleted tweets and other comments that, that we've seen. So it, it hasn't necessarily been a secret that that's the long-term plan for Aaron Hurd, but... Um, you know, there's there's the question now of, of when, I think. Because we were talking off mic of, you know, what does that timeline kind of look like and how old is he now? And there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I, I think it's funny that it's, it's Bayer Leverkusen because there's the inherent St. Louis connection itself with that club uh, as opposed to like a Hoffenheim or somewhere that Lutz has more direct connection to. Um, but yeah, so Aaron's age kind of puts him in an interesting position for where this could go for city. And it goes back to all the things we talk about in the next couple of years of Lutz has said that somebody from his goal is to have somebody one, two, three, however many it ends up being from the Academy to be on the MLS roster in 2023. So day one, you, you have some people who have made that upward movement. And if you look at the, the possible path for Aaron, if it if it ends and culminates in Leverkusen, then we were talking his age would put him one season potentially with City, and then he's at 18 years old after that first season. Makes sense that it could go to Leverkusen after that. It does. Stuart, you had a few more details on that, actually. And I feel like we could compare this to Josh Sargent and other Americans that have gone to Europe without a passport, is, is what you were mentioning, Stuart. Yeah, well, so he doesn't have, to my knowledge, any um, access to a European passport, which means he wouldn't be able to sign with Leverkusen until he's 18, uh, which we think is in December of 2023. Uh, so, ooh, running through the defense here. Uh, Club America almost had, a, almost had a goal here in the 44th minute. Uh, so, if you want to time when we're recording the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's live <laughs> on FS1 right now. Um, so that would be good timing for Aaron. He'd get a year of MLS under his belt. Um, you know, at, at 17, he's probably obviously not going to be an everyday player, but he'll get some game time. And then you expect him to move over, and it's good exposure for City uh, for MLS and as Matt said you want to have that good relationship with parents um, and kind of that that 
path to Europe that a lot of people want to see. Um, I will get a clearer picture next year when the uh, LDL team kind of, I don't know if they'll even bother announcing their roster, just have a roster that plays. First game starting lineup, you just see that it's like half of the U17 team now. Yeah, and that, that's oh, what I expect to see is um, yeah. it'll be mostly U17, but I fully expect Aaron Hurd to be on that team. And um, I think that'll be a clear indication of possible players for the senior team in 2023. Yeah. Um, and some of those guys will drop off and go to college, and, and some of them will just kind of wash out because that's how things go. But it'll be interesting to see how the team approaches their their roster on that and i think we all kind of agree on what approach we think they'll take but well and and for not to get too far off aaron heard right but the ldl team that starts in march because they're starting soon um you can already see that consistent starting lineup for city's u17 team and you can project that a lot of them are going to be moving up because it isn't i mean it's the first well we've already seen a little bit of upward momentum or upward movement with um some u16 guys playing for the 17 team last week this would be the first real milestone of you're legitimately graduating to uh, a new level so we i mean i would definitely expect aaron hurd i would expect josh mayer i would expect jacob lucinian uh, or lucinan i would expect um you know, Anthony Falpel, people like that, who have been getting start after start after start. And the 17 roster is deep. I mean, there are there are people who just haven't had playing time. And I think my theory is just that they're it's stacked so deep because halfway through their season, which goes until next May or June for that um, MLS Next Cup, mm. they're going to be taking from half of the roster to fill that reserve squad, the LDL team. Yeah, you've been really good about reminding us of that. I keep forgetting, and that is such a good point for sure. And, um, and on top of that, I mean, our U16, teams, the U16 team is on a tear. I mean, they're destroying everyone for the most, no, not destroying everyone, but they're winning regularly, right? Um, using the same uh, style of play as the U17s. I find it very interesting how successful they've been and how many of those players are going to be called on to perform on the next level once the uh, LDL team starts. I think about that pretty regularly. So um, You would think that Jackson Delkus would be in the running for a golden boot in, in that age group. He's got to be up near 15-plus at this point. <laughs> dude's, dude's on its air. I, I hope it continues. I hope it's like the kind of thing that translates to each level as yeah. he moves up. Well, he was one of the ones who, who got some playing time with the 17s. As well. Oh, he did. He has. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I think he subbed in. Um, it was one where he didn't start. Um, I forget the other name. He was one of the ones who subbed in for the 17s Good. last weekend. Not against Dallas, I think it was. We won that game, I think. Um, was yeah. It a draw? Yeah, we won that one. That's interesting. I wonder how. Yeah, we'll have to watch that. We'll have to watch how he does with the U17s. That's super cool. Which means he'll be ready by the time. March comes along for sure. Um, yeah, I just liked that timeline. To go back to Aaron Hur, that's kind of what we're still on that topic. I liked that timeline and to think about him, like, let's think about what um, a few things here. Josh Sargent didn't go to um, Werder Bremen until he was 18, right? And he spent some time with the U23s for sure um, before he got to the senior team. It didn't take him long. 
Um, but we saw how that went. Okay, interesting. We can all mentally note how that went for him and, and what it looked like based on, of course, what the team ended up being has a big play in that as well, right? Um, think about Pulisic, though. Pulisic had a passport, got over there earlier, um, was playing with the U19s as a 16, 17-year-old, I believe, and then made his way quickly through the U23s to the senior team shortly after. And so, um, you know, like we said, Hurd can't get there till he's 18. Um, we can talk about, um, is it, who's the player that went from OC to Wolfsburg? Oh, um, Brian Kayo. Kayo, thank you. I kept trying to say Kobe Hernandez. And they, they had an, who else did they have? Someone moved over to Wolfsburg. I think it's Wolfs- Kobe Hernandez. Yeah? No. Oh, Hernandez and uh, Brian Kayo. Kayo, yeah. Uh, and then who else? They had someone who went to Wolfsburg, right? Oh, sorry. I thought they both went to Wolfsburg. Or my, my. I'm sorry. I'm so bad. I don't know. They, they've, they've. I think had three, three people go to Bundesliga now, but maybe it's just two. But Kayo for sure, and and Hernandez. Yeah. But you know, we can expect her to spend some time with their German youth sides, and um, I would say based on like what. Um, Richards has been able to do at center back, moving from Dallas to um, Bayern Munich, what Justin Che is looking like right now with Bayern, with uh, FC Dallas. And he had some time with Munich that was successful with the U23s. Um, I think if you look at Hurd and what his um, projection looks like with next year in March, rather, starting with our LDL team, and then starting in 23, as a, if he gets a lot of playing time with an MLS team, that's in a lot of ways better than a U23 team is what I'm trying to get at, right, in Germany. So I'm really glad. Like, I think for him personally, it's not, you know, this is so cool that Lutz can offer this, that he has so many connections that he can get a player to Germany pretty easily, it seems like, if they're a homegrown signing, which we talked about, maybe we should touch on here. Um, so I'm excited for her to get a year in MLS see how he does and whether the move happens straight to Bayer Leverkusen whether they loan him back for that kind of experience like Justin Che spent some time in Germany and came back so that's still a possibility and, and if we were to add the cynicism in there Stuart that's actually a really good option to have that kind of flexibility and familiarity with our club and Bayer Leverkusen depending on how it goes for him he, in my opinion, it was a great decision for him to come to St. Louis. That we're going to really value him. The hype is there. We're going to, you know, uh, Lutz isn't going to ruin his development in any way. We have the right uh, people in place. We're going to talk about a potential head coach that would not do wrong by by someone like him. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see how that goes for him and to see what kind of opportunities that opens for actual homegrown players, actual St. Louis players and um, even people we can recruit in the future. So I don't know how you guys feel about him in MLS. Oh, the last thing, and I'll do this. You guys think about that, and I'll throw to you guys for sure. But it's also interesting to see that uh, since the homegrown rules have changed about money, um, sticking with the club as a homegrown player to some extent, we kind of argued about that. We won't go into details. But more money goes to the club as if you're a homegrown player, grown player, and you get um, transferred out to Germany, and so we're curious how his contract is going to work. 
how much money St. Louis gets out of that and how much we get out of future uh, transfers and, and how all that works. But it's really cool to see. We were talking about how guys like Haji Wright, um, we were talking about Brian Kyle, how those guys moved to um, USL teams and NASL teams when that uh, RIP was still around. Um, in order to avoid the MLSBS, right? Like the league taking so much money that the player is worth more domestically than he is going abroad to the league. Therefore, he doesn't get a transfer that he probably needs for his own development. That sort of thing is starting to go away if you're a homegrown signing. We talked about DK having some limitations right now because he's not a homegrown signing, correct? So um, MLS still has a stranglehold on some transfers to Europe, and that's a problem. And we'll talk about that, but I, I, I do want to focus on the fact that MLS has gotten so much better that Hurd didn't go to a USL team so he can move to Germany. He went to an MLS uh, team, and well, he's going to have just a, a great pathway to to uh, Germany equally. Well, you also have the perception of MLS across the, the, the globe where they, they're living right. up to the selling league mindset, and you're seeing... Um, you know, top player after top player leave for one of the big five. I mean, we're filling them up with MLS alumni. And it's it's not just making it a destination for players that's saying, oh, well, if, if all of these guys can do it while being an MLS, then this is going to work out for me. But it creates that if you want to go to Europe, MLS is the way mindset of American kids. And so that, I mean, that's what we needed. It's, it's in a new a, thing. It's a new thing, but it honestly, it's, it's the next evolution of what we need in a top division. Like it, we're not going to be a top division in the world. We're not going to be top five anytime soon, mm-hmm. but what we need to be is if you're growing up in America, you need to play in MLS. If you want to get to a top five, that perception of, of families needs to be there. And it, it's clearly shifting in that direction. And to your point, I think Aaron Hurd's a great example of that, where he was with Philadelphia, left Philadelphia. The only uh, public statements were, were that um, regarding his parents and wanting to pull him out for one reason or another. Um, all we know now is a year later, he comes to St. Louis, a club in the same league. So they still there still seems to be the mindset that an MLS academy is the way to get um, to Europe. And I think on specifically with, with Aaron, one of the last, this is silly podcasts, Brad had an interesting comment where he was actually watching one of the Academy matches and told a story of being right next to Aaron's parents. And so I got to talk to them about, um, you know, not anything too deep or too like not, not an interview type thing, but just talking. And I was taken aback by just how, dedicated they are to their kids. And when you're a parent of a top level athlete, it's a no brainer that you have to be, but they have multiple kids in yeah. in high level. One of the sons, Aaron's brothers in the Houston Dynamo Academy. And his sister is, I can't remember the sport, but. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I mean, they're, they're all over. There's three, wow. at least three different spots in the country that their parents are like flying to, to see matches. And so I think it was when Aaron was subbed off in that game in, that Brad was talking about, the parents left. They saw Aaron play and they had to get to the next kid. That's insane. Yeah. And it, I mean, it all goes back to if you're going to put this time, the most time and effort into um, your children and you, you value their sporting potential that much, you're going to want to put them in good hands. It's my favorite thing to find 
players' parents and talk to them at games. It is my... I love it. So I talked to Fritz Volmar's parents who are just like... They're dedicated. They're so... They're sweet people. Like, wonderful people. And I love hearing everybody's story. I haven't even gotten all of his story. I'm going to, like, touch and get in touch with them again. But, yeah, it is so cool to run into parents and, like, yeah, the things they do for their kids, the, like, rearranging of their entire lives for uh, a profession, you know... It is amazing what what parents are willing to do and and how much support they put behind their kids and to hear their stories about where they come from and how it happens. It's insane. Even if you aren't from St. Louis or even if you are from St. Louis, even moving from different uh, clubs, there's so many good clubs in our city that, you know, everyone's story is unique and fun. Um, So, yeah, if a parent happens to listen to this, you know, I hope I get to talk to you about your journey. It's been so cool to, to hear. Especially with a, a startup MLS Academy in the city. I mean, you've got yeah. you got parents and kids from Gallagher and Fuse, uh, but you also have the, the Aaron Hurd example from across the country, and you have you saw the lineup of where the cities everybody was from, and it, mm-hmm. everybody has their own story. And it, it's, it's incredible to know that everybody's story kind of led them to this position, this club. And the parents have no reason to like there's no reason for them to talk the club up, right? Like, Not if, if it's was, not benefiting their kid. Exactly. So if something was bad, I think we'd also be hearing about it. You know, I always am like, man, the club seems legit. What do you think? And they're always, like, so far, very happy about their decision and, and what their kid's been doing with the club. And, and that's a good sign as well. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of cool because they're trailblazers, too. I mean, their kids are the first, really are. Uh, their first academy players for the system. And... You know, maybe years from now, their kids are reasons why other kids want to join the academy or see the not just potential, but the proven value in being a part of an MLS academy, but specifically St. Louis's. Mm-hmm. Stuart, any thoughts? I've got one more topic with Aaron Hurd. <laughs> Uh, oh, I sorry. I I saw something. So, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a week, and I had to bring my laptop because I I just I forget everything. But comment you had earlier was Stewie. I think you were talking about it. Of um, will will Josh get a call up at some point and some other players? So I'm fairly certain that Josh missed the age cutoff for this U17 cycle. Okay. He's a 2005. Um, player and the cutoff was born after January 1st, 2006. So I think age-wise he missed the cutoff. So I'm not saying he would have gotten a call up or not, but just it's interesting to see. So he's not eligible for U16 is what you're saying? Not eligible for U17, uh, the club that they announced Aaron Hurd was on. Now, it's weird because Aaron Hurd is... um, he's. Well, I think he's eligible... No, I think that's basically saying he can play well, for the, the U16s, right? The 17s. The cycle goes until 2023. This this cycle goes for the FIFA 2023 U17 World Cup. Yeah. And so Aaron Hurd is eligible, who's a year younger than Josh Mayer. Mm-hmm. Josh Mayer is not. I don't think he's eligible based on the age cutoff. Not eligible for U16. 17. Well, wait, you're saying he's too young for U17? I'm saying he's too old old for U17. Oh, he's even older than U17. For the age cutoff for the national team for this cycle. I didn't realize that. For the World Cup or for this call-up? For the World Cup. 
Okay, but, but the, for the age, this call up, he would be eligible. But what as the a nat, what U.S. Old. Soccer said that they called up was um, players born on or after January first, two thousand six, are eligible for this World Cup cycle. Got it. So I'm not saying that he couldn't have got called up for this, but it would have been like a one. It wouldn't have been. He couldn't have followed the team through the correct. World Cup he wouldn't. Yeah, he would not sense. have been able to follow through the cycle. Thank you. That's massive. That's really helpful. So I'm I'm really sad that he wasn't called up, but he it makes sense that he wasn't. I hope that was part of the reason. I hope that was part of the reason, too. Yeah. I'd like to think that. So maybe if U20 gets going at some point, or even U18 friendlies, that would be a good place for him. Aiden Stanley played a lot of U18 stuff, which... Who knows what their ramp-up plan is. This is the first youth national team camp in Listen, a long year and a half, two years. probably not even a coach for the anyone but U17 right now. <laughs> U.S. soccer is an effing mess. Um, or they just pull a Jason Kreese and uh, have Hackworth <laughs> coach a youth national team and be an assistant coach of, you know, St. Louis City at the same time. You know what? I'd send Hackworth before. Works so well for Kreese. <laughs> and for the uh, U.S. Olympic uh, hopes. Mm. Yeah, like, please let us, let's loan Hackworth to U.S. soccer and say, please use him instead. Uh, I, I can't wait. Uh, the interview, let, let's talk about that for a second. The interviews with Hackworth, the podcast, like, I'm usually so against, like, team-led podcasts, but that one's fun. Like, it's good. Like, it's not, um, they're not trying too hard. It's just, like, guys talking. And, yeah, of course, it's it's PR. Of course it is, right? There's always that, like, thing in the back of your head where, like, all right, they're, they're talking themselves up, but... It's laid back enough, and they talk about such like real topics that I'm able to enjoy it and, and take something from it. Even well, the Hackworth one was cool because yeah. I mean that was our first real like long form sit down, getting to hear him talk after coming here. So that was like it'd be really cool if he had an interview with some independent podcast. I'm not sure which. I'm hoping one it'll get there. You know, <laughs> I, I can see one being um, you know excited to talk to him. Grassroots media, you know, like there's, there's something to it, you know, that's, that's just me personally talking, but, um, no, I've really enjoyed that for sure. I just want last thing about Aaron Hurd. I want to say what I've seen from him, um, tactically with, um, St. Louis city SC. And I think I've actually been trying to fit in like how we feel about St. Louis city's Academy performances, which have been very hot and cold. Um, and there are a few thoughts that I just wanted to mention real quick. I'm super excited to hear what you guys have to th- say about what you've seen as well. But let's start with Aaron Hurd. Like, he definitely plays as an eight, but almost like if you did have a six and eight and a ten in the midfield, he definitely has the freedom to push forward, right? And so you end up seeing him kind of sit behind the striker if the moment presents itself. And it seems like either he's cautious to make sure he's back to defend or they've given him the freedom to move forward or some mix thereof, but there's something there, right? You can tell there's something in his brain that's like, make sure you're not getting caught out, getting caught forward, that kind of thing, because he is tracking back, he is making sure he's there defensively, and he's made some good plays in the defense from what I've seen, but it's really cool to see him have some kind of freedom to be the attacking player with vision, with athleticism, with a shot, you know, obviously, um, it's been really fun to watch him. And I think it's that vision that I think guys like um, like Scuffed, a lot of like the USMNT soccer nerds are going to really like that 
aspect of him. His soccer smarts are there. Um, but I don't feel like with us that they're fully realized. And I'm not sure why. But I know that I think I thought I expected a little more from him. But he's working within our system. And so our system is to press. Our system is to turn the ball over and send it forward, right? And I think he's serving his role perfectly. And he's even able to show his talents, his personal talents are able to shine within our system. But I think I expected more. And maybe that's height. I don't know what it is. Um, but I thought I, I'd expect I'd see a little bit more from him. And it's early, and I do think he's going to develop. If he's being challenged, he is playing up age, an age group, right? Two. Two age groups, thank you. So um, maybe it's that. Um, and maybe this is totally normal. Maybe this is really good that he's being challenged and he's not quite there. And maybe we'll see growth in the next year as he moves up to LDL and hopefully MLS. Um, so, um, Stuart, I'm, I'm kind of appealing to your cynicism here. Hmm. But also, I'm appealing to, you know, hopefully our, our coaching crew knows what they're doing. Um, I think maybe my cynicism, I have a healthy dose of it for sure. If I were to, like, worry, and mine's more like a worry, an anxiety, right? And I always kind of worry about our St. Louis players. Like, I'm always looking at, like, why didn't Aiden Stanley play this week? Or why is uh, Jack Mayer not playing this week? It's my kind of anxiety about St. Louis players. But I think my anxiety about Aaron Hurd is, like, is our system um, handicapping him or uh, handcuffing him in, in any way? And I hope not. I hope uh, everything's going to be good there. And I do believe that it will be. I, I think he's personally, I personally think he's being challenged. He's not quite up to the level yet. And I think that's fine. So I don't know what you guys think, though. That's that's what I've seen from him. I'd just say it's, it's too early to tell. Yeah. I mean, we're the first three months into it and uh things will get clearer as it goes on but you i mean we're at the ground level here and we're building the foundation and um a lot of these kids are coming in from different academies i mean half of them are and half of the coaching staff is former st louis fc academy um and fuse and you know a third of them fuse and then the other bit from bits and bobs from around the country so uh no i i think Aaron will come good i think he's got the talent to succeed and i think uh uh i don't think that our academy system will be a detriment to him i think it'll be a positive but um i agree with that well i mean time will tell time. ultimately time will tell <laughs> so Next year, when we see him playing on um, some LDL pitch against uh, Minnesota United 2, um, yeah, we can maybe get a little bit clearer picture of uh, what his potential is going to be. We're back out at Swope Park. Oh, God, no. I was hoping Minnesota wouldn't have a team and that Patrick Whale would come play for us next year. Yeah. He'd be better off, probably, let's be honest. Is he still injured? I don't know, man. He was he was in and out. Too soon. And Too soon. I had the same kind of thought, um, probably as you, Phil, earlier this year, and it was a complete knee jerk. I mean, it was looking, it was entirely rational. But after the first few games, you have, you know, we know we talked about the hype um, before the academy rosters were announced, and it's it's clearly one of those where you have the hype of, oh my gosh, it's this nationally recognized, like teenager who's coming and he's going to just you know outshine everybody 
and it, it, it watching those first handful or two or three games it was not like he wasn't um visible on the field but it just it didn't seem like he was a playmaker it didn't seem like he was really um involved in the attack or a, an integral piece um i don't think he started the first game or two just one i think yeah so that was that was my anxiety kicked it on that yeah <laughs> so that was interesting i was but i think at at this point it's Stu's right it is not just too early, but it's also the new system. I'm sure it's a new system for him and everybody else who's working this these last couple of months to find out how they can play together in that system. Mm-hmm. Um, but if nothing else, this week reinforced just how special he is um, in the system, in what he can provide to us in the system, but also just as an individual player where um, you know his his ID camps this year. Clearly, he's still right there, uh, top level in the nation, and so I, I think he'll I think he'll find his way in the system. Um, he's already shown it the last couple of weeks uh, with some assists, some nice crosses, some really nice play on the wing. Um, but I I just think yeah, it's it's too early to really say anything that he's not going to succeed in the system at all. I think it's just the fact that him like everybody else is learning how to play together within that but it's also going to benefit him at this point to be um in a system in 2021 that he's going to continue to be in that same system in 2023 so there's no doubt forget the leverkusen forget everything like that i mean we're talking his play and how they're using him there's so much time that we still have to play with. And this, at the end of the day, is all about development. Yeah. I mean, we talk about wins and losses and who looked good and who didn't. Um, he just got called up to the national team. He's starting every game now. Um, he's making plays. He's passing the ball into the, into the attacking end to create chances, to create goals. He's doing everything now, and it's clearly, you can clearly see a shift. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for, and I know we have a break coming up. There's like a month left of, of games and then there's uh, like a winter type break in MLS next. Um, I'm interested to see how the training goes over that and where he comes back yeah. next year after all of that time with the club and in the system. The entire team, I'm excited to see how they come back. A couple of things you said there, um, one being that um, him with the national team, like I was thinking like that would be a nice barometer for like how that goes, but to be honest, it may be terrible, right? Like. We were just talking like, it's like morbid curiosity. It, it'll, yeah, no, it'll be like morbid curiosity, but also like the coaching for the national team. I think I have less faith in the national team coaching. Like they may misuse him completely out there. Right. I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of like the last like two U17 cycles ago. There were guys that were just not used well. And I'm, I'm thinking of like, um, man, I can't think of names very well, but like, the guy who's been getting senior team call-ups that plays for the Portland Timbers, Aaron, not Aronson, um, doesn't matter, midfielder, how he's so good now, but with the U-17s, he looked terrible because he was just Thinking like... A, Williamson? Williamson. Eric sorry, Williamson. not Aronson, Williamson. Um, yeah, that dude looked terrible in the U-17s back in the day. Not great. And he was like a sub for whoever's supposed to be the starter. Um now look at him right like a lot's happened since then and so yeah like i'm really interested to see how he looks with the national team compared to what he's looked like with with us um but yeah these are kids like 
they don't have to be perfect right now. We're building a base. My next thought was like, if his base is like knowing how to press in a system really, really well, and then he goes to Bayer Leverkusen, and he has natural talents in all the other areas that we've mentioned, like, this kid's going to be in good shape, right? Like, Bayer's going to be like, we can play this kid. He can defend from the front. Like, this is great. Like, we can work with this, right? And then we'll take his natural talents and inform them, too. Um, I mean, it's amazing. Like, I have so much faith in, in Lutz and what he's doing. I really think he knows the right things to push. And, and his view is so good in, like, raising good human beings that, you know, I don't see him falling out in a bad way that we've seen some of, the, like, the... Is it Kleiman brothers guys going to Europe or just like falling out real bad? So um, there's those things. And then to talk about the team itself, the academy team, I want to hear what you guys think about the academy team in general. We're not just here to talk about Aaron Hurd. Um, I talked to Louis Swisher, right? And so the results have been up and down, very much so, right? And I've had a little bit of like precky flashbacks, not in results. Clearly results are much better, right? Already, right? And it's super early. But I've had these like Precky flashbacks where the thing that's hard in the system and in Precky's system too with St. Louis FC, and you watch Red Bulls, even Philadelphia Union to some extent, like the counterattacks, it is so hard to defend a counterattack and that's where we're getting taken, right? And the new game is is one in, in the modern game is one in transition, right? You look at France in the last World Cup. Even the best players and the best teams are using the counterattack to their advantage, and that's where we're weak, right, in our pressing system. And so it's interesting to see like our six and our center backs are being exposed at times, and they're being asked to do a lot. And so it's really fun to watch like what positions we're going to have to really focus on. Not just in the academy. In the academy, you're limited to who's around, kind of like a national team to some extent. With our Division Three team for MLS, we can sign anyone, right? And so I'm curious to see who we bring into the center back roles, who we bring into the six roles, and then, of course, I'm very much wondering who we bring into those roles. We were talking about Aaron Long earlier. Can he handle a counterattack man-to-man uh, with a, a striker or a winger just like on the counterattack 1v1 it's him and if he gets past him it's the goalkeeper right how does Aaron Long do with that how does Josh Mayer do with that how does uh, Lusignan do with that right um, he's, he's been really amazing at that kind of thing actually but that's where we get caught out we're up and down in those ways and Louis Swisher I'm going to throw um, the interview I got to do with him a few games ago against um, Austin FC I did an interview with him, and he talked about that exactly. I'll maybe throw it in at the end, like a secret tack, track kind of thing on CDs back in the day. And um, you can decide what you what you think. But what, what do you guys think about the up-and-down performances lately? Is it the counterattack, or is there more to it than that? Uh, well, I think we're all kind of uh, subject, and um, I speak personally as this is a problem of mine when it comes to developmental play of seeing wins and losses as black and white like if 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 the team's losing then the players aren't developing which which isn't the case um ultimately if the u17 team doesn't win any trophies but they produce players of quality it's it's a successful team 
um, the trophies that they win at that level isn't. I mean, you you want the competitive fire, you you want that, but it it's the same thing with uh, the MLS two teams in USL, and the problem that kind of them being in that league existed, or that league presented itself was um, them winning or competing or not was not really their goal ultimately, and that's that's the case for the these academy teams. So I. Th- think it is a good reflection of uh, quality if they do get trophies, but it's not necessarily a fault or failure of the system if they don't. Definitely a mix. I've heard people talk about how um, the DA, like USSDA, has gone through cycles, and now MLS Next is the next iteration of that. But it's gone through cycles of For a long time, no one cared about wins in those leagues, and that's changed recently. And so I think it is a a good blend of the two. But well, I think too that one of the things City puts out is their coaches' corner, and so you get to see from um, Luis and 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 Kritchner and all those coaches like what are their top priorities for the match, and what are they looking to take away from a previous match. And I, I think it's my a lot of the time my takeaway from their comments is that they're trying to play their own style. Like they're worried about themselves and if they if they see something that they're becoming deficient in, such as being weak on the counter because of their high press, then they're going to maybe focus on um, possession of the ball. They're gonna focus on a transition defense, they're gonna main, maintain their high press while maintaining the ball. And I, I, so it makes me think that, to Stewie's point, there, I haven't seen, and I wouldn't expect to see a coach comment about we want to win the game at this level. They definitely seem very dedicated to ensuring that their style of play stays intact because they clearly believe in it. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it is making sure that um, you know reading between the lines, if they want to stay tight in their high press and. Um, you know, prevent prevent transition goals. Then obviously they're they're wanting the, their players to be more careful with the ball. They're wanting to maybe take less chances or uh, whatever it means to keep possession in that high press. But I definitely see a less of a focus on the numbers at the end of the game um, and more focus on making sure the players can play well in the system that they're the staff is teaching them. It almost feels like the score is a tool, right? Like it's it's like part of the statistical analysis of what did we do wrong? The score is one of those things that we're like looking at what we did wrong. And I feel like every time they do the coach's, coach's corner, I'm like, yeah, that's something I was worried about, right? Or that's something that I was hoping that would be addressed. And they're always, they're always on top of it. Not that I would know. I mean, they would know better than me, of course. But um, well, and to it the, all seems to line up to me. Is all I'm saying. And to the uh, the podcast that they're doing, one of the the mental game one that they had, where they're talking about the just making sure their players are um, mentally fit as well as physically fit. Wins and losses play into that. That's true. You know, if if even at that age level, if you're losing game after game after game, you're going to get down on yourself. You're going to question internally the system. You're going to question yourself and, you know, what are you doing wrong? What can you do more on? Regardless of the coach's philosophy of, you know, stick with it. You're doing great. The numbers will pan out. You know, eventually it will get into your head. And we haven't seen a losing streak like that, I think, that's really caused them to necessarily, or at least 
from an outside looking in, I haven't seen them appear to get too much into their own heads yeah. on the field. You know, whether it's they haven't been blown out, you know, they haven't had a consistent losing streak. And so there's I, I feel strongly in in that as well, that the coaches are doing a good job with not just the tactics on the field, but making sure that the kids are mentally fit to handle losses and to handle um, winning streaks. Like we're in the middle of a, a pretty nice win streak, I think, because we've had so many home games and the teams are clearly very good at home. Yeah. They're clearly a, a home team. Um, but I think that plays into it from a player perspective just as much as um, what isn't working on the field tactic-wise. Mm -hmm. no, I agree. It's been, yeah, it's been good to watch that. And uh, I like watching for the subs. The subs, I feel like, have been perfect. Every time, I, it's usually a physical fall-off more than a mental fall-off. You really don't see these guys backing down mentally, right? I mean, these, it's so fun to watch this system in that way where you're just like so much respect for the amount of physical like exertion it is like as a 38 year old who like tries to play indoor soccer watching these kids do what they do for 90 minutes is like unbelievable what they do i'm gassed after maybe 60 seconds of doing what they yeah. do it doesn't work like well. tiki taga is one thing what what those kids are doing out there is like i think the term that the times two that coaching right? staff uses like wolf pack or swarm swarm, swarm is one yeah Wolfpack so wolf. they they have these four pillars that they talked about can't remember right now but it's their philosophies on uh like words that are associated with their philosophies and swarming is one of them and yeah. you can tell not just from uh when they're on like when they're on offense trying to swarm around the ball and, and get the ball uh, moved up the field but when they're on defense they swarm whoever has the ball and they're they're willing to really attack uh, a possession oriented team the counter press is my favorite like how dare you try to take the ball from us you got it we're getting it right back it's my favorite like yeah you can see the determination in their eyes like they're, uh -uh. they're pissed that they lost the ball and yeah. they want that ball back it's a, like it's almost <laughs> It almost is like Pavlovian. Like the second, if there's a turnover, and maybe this is actually like a youth soccer thing, it probably is, but like, it's like almost like the most important thing to notice in a soccer game these days is like a turnover happened. What do I do? And it's like a snap. I keep snapping because it's like a turnover. Swore it, get it back. Or a turnover. We got it. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like that is like such a, like I, I feel like it's becoming, maybe it's a world soccer thing, but it's definitely like something that, is very easy to teach an American soccer player because we naturally counterattack. We naturally are good at defense. We're naturally good at trying hard. That whole counter press system, like I feel like, is such like it's good for the American state of mind in soccer, in my opinion. So that's something that's been fun to watch. Um, that translates to every sport too. I feel like hockey, basketball, exactly same mindset. Right. You, totally you see it in agree. every American game. Yeah, it's fun to watch and. And American kids, like they're very diverse in, in, in all the things they do and play. It, it translates for sure, um, which is fun to see as well. Um, we've spent too much time on, on the kids. Um, if that is a possibility, we gotta talk about Bradley Carnell, um, rumored future head coach of St. Louis City, SC, not FC, and um, has spent some time with New York Red Bulls since the Jesse Marsh days as an assistant and has lingered and, um, as I read in an article, unexpectedly became the interim coach of New York Red Bulls. Thought he was getting fired, right? <laughs> and became the interim coach. 
Um, I'm going to let you guys talk. I got to hit the bathroom real quick. But Matt, why don't you start us off on that? So he's one of those. Um, the whole concept of who our first head coach is going to be, I think my biggest desire is MLS experience. I think at this point, you're seeing the pieces Lutz is putting together. I want a guy who not just knows, we, he knows how to build a roster, but I think that's a lot of Lutz's responsibility. I want somebody who knows the MLS style of play, um, how to craft a game plan, and how different teams typically play in MLS. Like, what is the MLS style? And I want someone who knows that. And not just knows that now, but has a decent amount of experience in the past few years, maybe a lifer, but has really seen the evolution and knows what it is, but also where it's going. Um, knows how to develop players, uh, has a lot of history with a system. Um, I, think, I think the biggest thing here is the Red Bull experience of the past. There's three coaches that he's really survived more or less like survive I think because when you when a coach leaves head coach leaves I think my gut reaction is you're looking to clean house or you're looking yeah. for take the assistance with you because as a head coach you want to have guys you can trust and guys who you can rely on so I think it says a lot um, that he's made it through Jesse Marsh Chris Armas and now uh, well an, an interim head coaching also which is its own benefit but beyond uh, Chris Armas, now an assistant to Gerhard Struber. So that, that to me is the biggest thing, is he has interim head coaching experience. He has three plus years of MLS assistant experience. So all of those things that I'm looking... Um, European to, experience? European experience, yeah. South African uh, Premiership, Premier League, whatever their top league is called. But I mean, he played in what Germany? And oh, as a player, yeah, yeah. That. yeah, definitely, definitely too as a player. Um, but it it's more, I don't know. It's it's more like they're and we heard I heard this from Red Bull fans online when we were talking about it when the the athletic article came out that they are impressed by the fact that he survived those those three regimes and he actually turned their club around a little bit has a winning record as a head coach in that interim spot last year when Armas left led them to the playoffs. So if you're looking for success in the head coaching position, small sample size, sure, but he's he has it. And I'm not so much concerned with uh, like a huge name, like a Bruce Arena, a Bob Bradley type name. Like Bradley having his contract up with LAFC and the rumor, not rumor, but the theory that he could, wondering will he come to St. Louis. I don't need a big name. I need a guy with, don't get me wrong, Bradley would be great, but I need a guy with MLS experience in general. And we've talked about um, Pat Noonan. We've talked about that kind of a, a coach who has all the experience as an assistant as other positions in MLS. And I think this fits the same kind of bill where you have those years of an assistant, you have the head coaching position, you have the trust of multiple head coaches a lot and the uh, relationship with Lutz so yeah. that that I mean all those added together yeah and I think Lutz talked about it in the interview or I forget which interview it was but he was talking about style of play the coach would be a coach that fits the system and not a f system that fits the coach and now Bradley's contract's up he's also not going to want to sit and basically not coach for a year waiting until 2023 
Um, Bradley doesn't want to play this style either. No, I mean he doesn't want to be told how to what Bradley style to play. Bradley has baggage. Bradley's a fantastic head coach, but he he does have baggage, and he's going to dictate how things go. Mm-hmm. Bradley's going to end up in Chicago, probably would be my guess, but we'll see. Or you re-up you're saying some. to be fair, Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley, yes. Michael Bradley should not coach in St. Louis. Hopefully, for well, Brad. I mean Bradley Carroll, like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sure. <laughs> sorry. Just to be clear. Yes, to clarify. Um, <laughs> or Carnell, sorry. The my personal, you know, gut feeling being a St. Louis homer was, you know, a Pat Noonan type, but I think it's becoming coming clear that Noonan will coach next year. Um, I think he has a good chance that in twenty twenty two he will be coaching, unfortunately don't for a team it. I don't want him to coach for. Uh, He's going to follow his, what was it, GM? Uh, no, it was the, it was a, it was a front office position with Philly, now with Cincy. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the former academy, or director of football. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Um but, but since, since he signed him another, he's driving the head coach hire. Yeah, yeah reading between the that. lines, the fact that uh, Carnell is an assistant who survived, but he has, he's maybe moldable, but he has, he's teachable. Um, and he's, you know, willing to put in the time of, you know, 18 months before, you know, the first season the ball kicks off in March 2023 um what's your cynic view if you were to have be cynic about it cynical about it oh my cynical view is uh you know I got really really excited about uh Precky (laughs) and uh Precky was the higher um and we all know how that ended so Precky broke you Preggy broke me in so many ways. <laughs> he broke you broke our hearts and he broke um, a lot of our minds. But Stewie is a person, I think. Yeah, he, he shattered me. <laughs> I actually had the uh, picture of myself and Preggy at the meet and greet of Kirkwood Station. Oh. Uh, came up on my Facebook feed just uh, a couple oh. weeks ago, or last week, because he was announced two weeks ago, maybe. Cause I mean, it, it's... So I, this just came to me, but... Precky is like the NFL to St. Louis. Everybody else loves him. Everybody else sees him like a national treasure, did great, no ill will, and and they love him. But we, he, he, he done us wrong. And Saint- Toronto hates Precky, Oh, that's too. fair. I that's mean, true, but... I, 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 guess I guess perhaps the writing was on the wall, but I think he deserved the chance at head coach of something. He'll still get it. It just, he failed. He'll still get it in the MLS. MLS, so. not no. I don't, don't think, think so. he gets another MLS head coaching job. Hmm. I don't think he necessarily wants one either. He has a he real sweet something. spot with yeah. Schmetzer, where he can be an assistant and be a really good assistant, where he doesn't have to. Schmetzer seems like one of those guys too who he'll leave when he wants to leave. Yeah, Schmetzer will leave when he's dead. <laughs> um, Probably true. Maybe I shouldn't say that after Siggy died so recently, oh, but um, easy. Too soon, I guess. Maybe. There's no too soon for my kind of comedy, though. I think the other thing about um, Carnell is that he has that existing relationship with Lutz. 
Yeah. So that goes back to... And there's cynicism in that as well we talked about today. Go ahead, though. I mean, it's just interesting more than anything else because you... In and of itself, like all the things that we were saying of, you know, the MLS experience, the multiple coaches, the interim coaching, like if you just take that resume as a person, like nothing else into consideration, this is a pretty good coaching candidate. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't bat an eye, I, eyelash and the Red Bull fans are, they don't care at all about Lutz and they love the guy. They were clamoring. There's an article on the SB Nation affiliate for Red Bull that they were saying he would be a perfect fit for their system or you know they want to see him succeed so he's endeared themselves to their fan base but the interesting thing is how he presumably how he came to uh the radar of of city was that relationship with lutz where it goes back to 2015 um with lutz's global united um charitable program Mm -hmm. um bradley I think he was an ambassador for that program or he played a charity match. Yeah, he played a charity match with them. But he's known Lutz since 2015 and I don't know what kind of friendship that they've maintained since then, but known Lutz since like January of 2015 and then 2017 is when he came over to MLS. So there was like a German connection. And when he came over to MLS, I read the story that he, uh, you know, obviously living in South Africa, um, he went to Germany for the interview for Red Bull for obvious reasons. I mean, he interviewed with the parent company and I Skyped or whatever with the New York office. Yeah. And yeah, so another German connection, like, I don't know, maybe he maybe he hung out with Lutz while he was up there interviewing, you never know. But all these things that are kind of like intertwining are just like, I don't know, it's almost like dominoes falling into place for me where if Lutz is serious about um, a qualified uh, friend, colleague, then it seems like if we're this far into it, you know, there there was the the tweet of the art, the article from the Athletic of uh, interviewing or speaking to, and then there's the follow up tweet today, Thursday of um, an offer being extended. So you don't know if that's uh, lost in translation or if that was really the case, but it seems like we're pretty far. For The Athletic to be reporting it, it seems like we're pretty far. Keep in mind, the last time The Athletic reported something on St. Louis City, it was months before Hackworth was announced that he was working with us, and how accurate was that? 100%. So. Yeah, everything points to it being true at this point, if you watch soccer media for long enough. One thing about soccer media that I've I've noticed over the years is how much higher the expectation of journalistic integrity is in soccer media than it is in political media. Like, it's really high. Like, speaking from experience, like, from having messed up a lot of things, I've taken a lot of flack and I've been really embarrassed many times, and it's really high. And so, like, you know, I've gotten to talk to Jeff Reuter, Stay School, just a couple times, but, like, these guys are good at their jobs and they really don't print stuff that's not true. They're thorough they and they're, really they're sure of what they talk yes. about. You, like you can tell from the Allocation Disorder podcast that Stay School and uh, Paul Tenorio do, yeah. that they're when they print something and they refer to sources or multiple sources, they're people who know what they're talking about and, and they're getting the right information. There have been a few stories that have been stretches, but even after the fact, like proving them wrong would have been just as hard as proving them right, in my opinion. And so it's been... 
they're great. Uh, you know, respect them and thank God we got them. You know, I mean, they they do great work. I'm glad they're in our in our lives reporting on that kind of thing. You know, who's not glad they're in our lives? Who? The St. Louis City staff, no doubt. Yeah, I know. That's what I was. Th- I thought you might say. <laughs> PR and communications guys everywhere, managers everywhere. We, we joked when, uh, when I've heard it from the inside. They do not like. It. We joked when the they Hack News, like when the Hackworth News came out. Not that with was our, our team with other teams. Sorry. No, but when the Hackworth News came out, it was our first big like, oh damn, the Athletics reporting about us. Mm-hmm. Like, when was the last time this like about actual like player movement? I mean, the last I think time the Athletic talked about St. Louis, it was about St. Louis FC. And yeah. But they never talked about anything player-oriented or coaching-oriented, things that affected really? on field. And now we're in this position where, you know, the club is having to deal with le- leaks somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, not, it, it, I would like to think, and I'm sure they would like to think it's probably not the club itself, but with MLS, the club's going to tell the league. A lot of people work at the league office. You never know where that might be coming from. Yeah. yeah. Just- and, and they've got their sources, too, so they've... And just wait until um, some 15-year-old with uh, Google Alerts out there will uh, get the scoop on the second signing that the team makes that uh, the team wants to make a big bombshell announcement about, and it leaks out because they know, I don't know, Indonesian on some like mm-hmm. soccer website. So far, Matt's got that on lockdown. <laughs> I was gonna uh, say, I, everything, I do have the Google Alert set up to an extent. He's been doing great. Yeah, like, I, I got a bunch set week. up too. But, Good for you, man. Um, yeah, no, I'm glad you're on our side. Is all <laughs> I'm saying. The bigger the stakes, the yes. I mean, they won't. I mean, well, the team did an awesome job keeping leaks from the uh, branding announcement that's so incredible but uh it's it's uh much much harder with uh with things from here on out with that i'm yeah i'm i'm impressed that they did that with the uh the trademark database thing that everybody was scouring but yeah at at this level where a lot of the decisions have to go through the league office and you have to involve a lot of people outside the inner circle or the inner office well you have agents Agents, agents have their parents, own you that have talked to, yeah. yeah, friends. I think, I think to me, the biggest thing on there is like, what is your response going to be? And that, I don't know. I'm not. I never majored in PR. I wasn't a PR guy, but yeah, always be thinking about how you're going to respond to something if it leaks out, and are you going to ignore it and just follow your own timeline, which they seem to be doing. Ignoring it and following their own timeline, yes. They did that with Hackworth. But that's, and Leverkusen, no, yeah. But that's what good PR people do, Yeah. right? Like, neither confirm nor deny. Listen, we haven't announced it. We'll announce it when it's true. You know, like, I mean, that's just what you do. And I, I think they've been taking it in stride. Uh, it just seems really normal. These guys almost feel like pros already. And I mean that actually in a... It's not good for us. Like, they haven't missed steps. Oh, they haven't sorry, missed steps. Like, no one's leaking stuff to anyone in St. Louis. Mm-mm. This is all happening well outside the circle. Well, here's devil's advocate. Um, a lot of St. Louis City fans or St. Louis soccer fans aren't connected to the national say MLS soccer media circuit so anything that happens outside of your Frank Cusimano your um, Carriker and Smallman sorry they're 
not gonna know about it until the team tweets it out and they get you know the official um official press releases come from the chosen team sources the, the so, infrastructure is not there on the the big reporting side of for st louis to be able to to break those kind of news yeah but the local news sources aren't gonna you know when the embargo happens they're not gonna you know break the embargo they're not gonna, for that. They're not gonna risk that damaging that relationship yeah oh. and it's it's not like the cardinals um where if you know there's a yeah. where if yeah you have a jeff uh passan passan who breaks the story about the cardinals signing a you know international player from the dominican republic uh cardinals fans are actually following him outside of it in um you know mls circles there are, there's a handful of us that actually know who you know all the people we mentioned are i mean how many people in st louis know who matt doyle is um a handful <laughs> if if that Funny. um so It'll be no disrespect to matt doyle no I'm never i mean the guy's amazing yeah uh it'll be interesting to see what happens if the post dispatch has a dedicated soccer guy that'd be interesting to see like maybe they start purposefully leaking stuff i do think a good we should do this another day but I do think a good comms department or PR department will leak certain things purposefully to a certain person on a regular basis. And I do think it helps with getting the right vibe, right, for a news drop. It helps with the hype. I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways. I think all the best comms and PR people, let's think, let's talk about like Phoenix Rising. Let's talk about, man, not Tampa Bay Rowdies, but like, a lot of the best people with the best PR, they leak stuff purposefully and they do it in the right way and the culture's there. Like it's just fun and cool and, and exciting. So far, St. Louis City SC has been very tight lipped, like super tight lipped. And that's fine if that's how it is long term. Like we'll get something once every five years and it'll be a lot of fun. But till then, you know, they can do their sterile uh news breaks and stuff like that and it's fine um and we'll get it from like outside circles like we did with uh aaron hurd and, and that'll be fine um but you know i think the fun I'm thing to see will happen in the future the fun thing with that though is right now i mean this this week was kind of a highlight it is kind of fun um to more or less break those kind of things in the st louis circle because like that's true. Like we were, we were some like of. If the, you stumble across it, and then you get it, to share it with the St. Louis people, that yeah, really I mean, nice. it's it, and at this stage in the game, I think we're at the point where that's that's still fun and that's still going to happen. But in the next year or two, especially once the first team starts up, yeah. the game's going to change a little bit. We'll see. We'll see. And you I'm have just some local media really sources that suddenly decide that they care. I'm sorry about for the covering words. MLS. Well, that and that's the constant talk is how much are they actually going to start caring and who's going to hire dedicated people to cover soccer and is yeah. is KSDK going to rely on Frank Cusimano to be their soccer guy <laughs> in addition to... I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that the Athletics are going to get somebody specific. Uh, I don't doubt that the Post-Dispatch is going to get somebody specific. I don't doubt that Carriker and Smallman are going to talk about it a little more, which they, they do now to an extent but it's going to expand once it gets beyond teenagers. Because we're at the point where we're, we're still excited about what we know is going to happen 
from everybody else, non-hardcore soccer fans, non-hardcore city fans who are as invested as we are, it's still the point where comparatively to other sports, I mean, uh, what's the guy's name? Jake Neighbors is probably the closest thing you could draw um, a, a comparison to with the Blues right now, age-wise, where you're seeing something where like, and an Aaron Hurd's tough to compare to because he's 15, but you look at somebody like, uh, uh, Lucinan or somebody who's 16, 17 and getting to that point where okay, you want to tell a Blues fan it's like, see what Neighbors is doing? That's what we have here. Like when we start in 23, yeah. like these guys are going to be, we're going to have a, a handful of Neighbors right here on our team. So that, that's why and, and not everybody gets that and I feel that's where we are right now as far as the media attention and dedication to coverage because Neighbors is more not to diminish anything he's doing or where he is on the club, but he's an attraction in that sense of a draft pick. And then the next year he makes the team and, and all of that entailed. It's not, it's not something that St. Louis is used to happening, happening for uh, people this age in the major sports. Yeah. There's, there are so, uh, it's so many connections that could be made to stuff that's popular right now in St. Louis sports that it's like so easy to to compare it to the soccer world right and stuff that i just know for a fact that st louis fans are going to get behind eventually they're going to geek out and it's going to be an amazing beautiful thing it's just like we need the right guy to get in here and, and start sharing that stuff like the three of us are happy to talk about it the this is silly is happy to talk about it uh, let's make noise is happy to talk about that kind of thing but like are we gonna get the right ears? It's like the post dispatch guy can pull that off, or perhaps there's like one independent guy that can like break the mold that gets radio and newspaper time somehow, some way that just breaks the mold. But like, I just hope, I don't care about who it is, I don't care about how it happens, I just hope that someone does that. I really do, because what we have for the Cardinals and what we have for the Blues and neighbor, like, so cool. We have so much opportunity to make that happen for for St. Louis City. I, I still look at it as kind of an interesting and almost like let's not take this for granted on what we have right now because it, it is a unique opportunity where we're never going to get a chance to start up our own club ever again. Yeah. Like this is this is a once in a lifetime thing. And right now, because we don't have that media infrastructure covering soccer dedicated and and always picking up on these rumors and um, tracking down sources, what we have is grassroots. We have the podcast in St. Louis. We have Flyover. We have City SC Report. We have Show Up Make Noise. This silly, Show all those noise. things. Sorry about that. And we have the Facebook groups and we have the Twitter conversations. And there are thousands of people in these Facebook fan groups who maybe have no other just interaction or knowledge of soccer until one of us posts something in those groups of a few thousand. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden people are aware of what's going on and, and news related to city that isn't covered anywhere else. And God help anybody who gets their news from Facebook. But when you, when- It works though. It, I mean, it works and this I is- I wanna tell you that I've had multiple guys be like, hey Phil, I just saw your podcast. This guy, Matt Baker posted it. And like, it's a lot of people who are getting their stuff to those Facebook pages. But that's that's where we are now. And I think I, I constantly have to remind myself, like I want to see front page stories in Post-Dispatch. Uh, I want to see um, news. I want to see articles for um, in The Athletic or on the Fox 2 or whatever of, you know, Aaron Hurd, first St. Louis City yeah. player to get a call up. Radio silence on that. But at the same time, like 
I don't feel like it's an obligation, but it's the opportunity that we're we're going to lose at some point when those dedicated people get hired to. Yeah, that's true. That that our voices are. That was the heyday in, in a lot of ways. You're I, right. I, I I constantly have to remind myself, like, kind of soak it in. Yeah. Like just, it, it's it's something small, but it's uh, it's something fun, and it is. it's you know. And we'll see how long the fun lasts. I may like rue the day. I'm just talking about wanting Post Dispatch to be a part of it, but like, yeah, it's gonna definitely take away from us. But well, we're so used cares? to we're so used to the. I, I mean, at least I have PTSD of the St. Louis FC days where I can't count how many times I tweeted and and tagged the Post Dispatch of like, do you realize what's happening here? Like professional soccer, and I mean, get on board and stop spelling their name wrong and cover it better. And I know we had uh, some, like, um, Jim Lyons, Tom uh, Terman, Joe, Joe Lyons, I'm Tom sorry, Jim yeah. Lyons, Lyons and Terman did great when they did it. Yeah. But it, I'm, I'm talking about what we're talking about with City, a dedicated person at every game getting all the coverage. Yeah. And, and so I'm jaded in that sense. Part of my jaded, though, comes from the fact that I always wanted St. Louis FC to have that step up. I wanted them to be that first division type thing. And I think the desire to have constant media focus and media um, commitment was in pursuit of that. Yeah. For, me, for me, it was anyway. And yeah. now it's almost like I gotta shift my mindset because it's here, it's happening, it's a for sure thing. It's almost like, the, the again, the dominoes are going to fall into place. We're, it's gonna happen at some point, like let the wheels turn, let the process play out and just enjoy enjoy the ride. Yeah. For me, the most important thing is like, you can, you and I can see the future. We can see the stories that are there. And we can also like backtrack, like we're projecting the stories that are there that are gonna be told by whoever Post-Dispatch hires. And if you backtrack, you're like, the seeds of those stories could be told right now mm -hmm. by massive big guys, big players in St. Louis right yeah. now. Like I wanna grab Ben Fred by the collar and be like, Great job on the Brickline Greenway story, but there's so much more, you know, like there is so much more to be talked about um, that I think readers would be interested in. But, you know, actually, perhaps that's where I'm wrong. Maybe the readers just aren't there yet. And maybe that's the answer. They're not there yet. You have to give them a reason to be there. Like if you just say, like that too, yeah. if you just say that, oh, the 16 and 17 year olds for St. Louis City's Academy and just frame it like that. I mean, you have to, I and mean, the reporters are good with that. Ben Fred, mm -hmm. um, Hawkman's great with it. I mean, Hawkman does some you, you frame it in a certain way to drive interest and you tell a story surrounding the information. Yeah, in, in my opinion, for every one story Ben Fred or Hawkman does, they could have done four more. But they're covering everything. I mean, they're not dedicated. I, I mean, they're covering Cardinals. I'm trying to spend lose. the Post-Dispatch's money. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm trying to have the yeah. I want what I want, but no, you're right. You're absolutely We need a right. Derek Gould version of, of Semi for City. I don't think we'll get, do you think we'll get that? I think we'll get like a half to three quarter time version. No, I, I, would. I think I would put money down that Tom Timmerman will be the beat reporter for St. Louis City. That makes sense. 2023. The, I'm just glad Jim Thomas had the it. same kind of thing where, um, I don't remember who left, but once the Rams left, he slid over, so they uh, used an Jim internal. Rutherford, Rutherford went to the went Athletic. Athletic. That's yeah. right. I forgot he used to work for the Post-Dispatch. But yeah, so they, they kind of reallocated somebody there. Mm. Interesting. I mean, so I, I do think we should wrap up. Um, 
we didn't talk enough about Bradley Carnell, but I hope we can get this going a little bit better in the future. This is kind of like a tease until he actually gets signed tomorrow. You're right. No, like in what, or we'll look silly or spending so much time on it. Yeah. That's actually possible. I'm totally fine with well, that. Uh, well, underlying I'm all this, totally fine with having spent this much time on it for no. We reason. don't hear timelines often, and Lutz did has said on the record that uh, they were looking to have a coach hired by 2022, like spring, early few months, 20, first quarter, whatever it was, 2022. I don't know if it's like this is by then, so technically it counts, or if they were looking to hire somebody then. You never Sometimes, know. Maybe it's the person who matters more than the time frame. That's what I'm thinking. And I was going to say this earlier that like there's some like cynical sides of Lutz like only looking within his his reach, within his experience. And the thing is like the other thing about Lutz is he's been everywhere and done everything. So like his some people if they only if they're insular, if they only talk to the people they know and like and and feed them good feedback, that's a bad, bad, bad thing. But with Lutz, God is his his connections and experience. His connections are like massive. They're unending, and so it's like only player to play on six he's continents. He's gone everywhere and done everything, and he like has made a note of these like probably hundred people out of ten thousand he's met over the years, and this is the hundred best guys, and he's trying to bring in twenty of those. That's freaking good right and so that's that's the positive rosy glasses version of that for sure well he's still not he's also not like insular to st louis now he's still going over to germany he's still yeah. he's still working for espn yeah my favorite thing is like i love listening to him call games not because he's an incredible caller i enjoy him calling games but like the the play-by-play guy will call out a random player and he'll just like list off five facts about that player. And or like, like where he grew up. Yeah, and, yeah. it's like, he's, he knows this guy, he's scouted him, like this could be our player someday if he falls out in the in the Bundesliga, like the total possibilities there. Um, so like, like the, my favorite thing, I'll just end with my last thing about this Carnell possibility, I'll give you each a, another, one more chance to talk about him, is that I'm just glad it's not Let's look at what Cincy did, right? They kept their USL guy and then they went the other direction and got these two Dutch guys who know nothing about MLS. My nightmare would be to find someone who has no idea what MLS is like that comes in and tries to instill this German style of play. This is a mix, right? Yes, it's a guy he knows, it's a guy that's played in Germany, he's South African, but he has spent, what, four or five years in MLS now? And he's seen what works and he, has been successful in a very small sample size, right? With with New York Red Bulls that we can't quite trust, right? It's um, a new coach bump kind of thing, possibility, right? So we can't quite trust it, but perhaps Lutz sees something. Perhaps his scouting eyes are really good. So far, we have no reason to doubt him, right? What is your phrase, Stuart? In Lutz we trust. In Lutz we trust, right? For now, Man. that works. He hasn't proved that wrong. What do you think, Stuart? Any other thoughts about the, the possible coach? Uh, I think I kind of covered everything at yeah. this point, but um, yeah, I'm, I'll yield my time to Matt. <laughs> I, I'll just, I mean, he fits the bill and he has the relationship with Lutz. It seems like if you're talking about, is this a legit rumor? I don't see any more, uh, any more legit possibility than this. I mean, we, we talk about the noon and STL connection, but that's just it it's the STL connection not anybody related to city that's really actively related to uh, or experienced with Noonan 
unfortunately. Well, I guess Hackworth. Oh, that's true. But I think I think everything we've been looking for, like I was saying initially, in what a head coach could bring, um, you know, Carnell brings. It's the MLS uh, experience. I, I think the biggest thing is a combination of he was a head coach, so he has the leadership experience there. Interim or not, I mean, half a season leading to the playoffs, that's something when their head coach is, is released um, or leaves. But also being an assistant in the same system under three different head coaches. Like people saw things in him that made them uh, come into a system and say, you're a guy that I don't care who had you before, I want you by my side. They might not may have known him, might not have, but they wanted to keep him. And that is, that's important. It, it tells me that there's a lot of people who value what he brings to an MLS squad. And at this point where you've had your interim tag, you've had three, four years as an assistant, the next step is that pro job. And we've always known that St. Louis isn't the most flashy of places, but that's not what our intent is going to be in any of our signings. Um, and I think this fits the bill of it's not a Bob Bradley. It's not something that's going to um, excite people for a name. He's going to excite people because of what he'll do with the on-the-field product and, and how he'll coach up players and what he knows about MLS. Mm-hmm. So I everything that I had looked for in the the check boxes he fits um i would be excited if i, I had no idea who he was two days ago perfectly yeah. happy to admit that i had no idea who bradley carnell was two days ago but looking into his uh his resume his history talking to red bull fans reading up i would be excited if he was the head coach yeah we have enough connections that we've heard some good things from some legit people already in the first day right so yep. that's cool um I think that's all we should do. We've gone well over as usual, but um, I'll just end with a really inside uh, comment, and that is that perhaps Bradley Carnell is the Tim Leonard of St. Louis City SC. Do we got that? Does that kind of work? Sort of? Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, this is Fly Brofody. We'll be coming back at you soon. We're working on how to make that more regular. We've been working on that especially in the last several days, so hopefully more news on that front in the near future. Till then, we'll talk to you soon. Hey! Well, Sam, we have to, you have to come away. We're gonna bring Can't you. miss anymore. He yeah. doesn't want to drive 10 hours. <laughs> I'm sure no one does. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm here with Luis after the game, the coach of the uh, U17 team. How would you feel about today in general? Um, I, I, I feel excited for the, for the boys because I think uh, even though the last resource they haven't been great, um, I think the reward is coming slowly, but it's coming. And uh, it's approved today uh, again, right? Uh, even though it was a close score, I think the, the, the way that we measure things is the way that we, the way that we create our, uh, our attacks. And it's, uh, you know, we create a lot of chances. And, you know, we, we got what we want, but still it's short on moments. And, you know, trying to continue in the development of these kids. Chance creation today was very good. I would say um, a lot of comments from the parents, at least, about how good the goalkeeper was today. And was that part of the, the game today? Or is it always like that? 
Uh, you mean the opposition? Opposition goal. Yeah, I mean, uh, the two last games, uh, I have to go and congratulate him because, uh, <laughs> I mean, last game, uh, he, was a, he was the best player on the field wow. and we lost for, for a bunch of goals of difference and then today as well. I mean, uh, uh, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm happy as well because uh, I'm not worried at all, even though with the last three results, because uh, the, the boys are putting the effort, they're putting all the, uh, the information that we're delivering and they're putting on every single game. Uh, it's just missing that last piece because uh, there's moments where we could have finished earlier the games. But at the end, let's look at it from a, from a bright, positive way as well. It creates a challenge for our guys. And uh, as soon as we, we tweak those things, uh, I mean, I think we will be better and better every game. Yeah, you, you, we have to bring up, of course, you guys even mentioned it in one of your press releases or stories or articles you put out that, you know, the giving up a goal or two in the beginning of the game, and then we've had to fight our, our way back. There's some good and bad in that, right? I, I imagine that's something you're working on, though. I think you've mentioned it. Uh, that's our, our Achilles, right? We, we starting off, um a moments not ready i would say not even ready it's just a moments that uh, i don't want to take out any credit of the opposition but uh they one thing that they're doing good they're punishing us they, they they're super um clinical and they're super sharp in the only few actions that they have or the many actions whatever actions they have they haven't give us any frame of um at least to settle down like on the opposite we have created a lot of chances and uh and we we kind of let it bounce there and it's always you know it can go anyway when it's the score is close why because there's a these kids are in a based on their characteristics there's an, a lot of emotions still and uh they're growing in that in those areas as well how to manage and how to handle those crucial moments where we need to be better um and i think they're do, still doing it good it's just a moment to fix it and get it better every time one more yeah, I was curious. The last thing I'll ask is I'm just curious if it's just me looking too far into things or not, but um, opposition scouting, is that something? Is it, There was a bit of a dip after we played the first few games. I wasn't sure if perhaps people tried to figure out how to play St. Louis in our high-pressing style and all that, or do you think it's just uh, just the way that things have swung? Um, I would say it's a mix of both. Um, but like, like I said, obviously um, the, the, oppos the opponents are going to start obviously knowing how we are. We... We've been open as well on how we want to play. So there's no magic boys yeah. there. They know what we're doing. So uh, I would say our focus is continuing in helping these kids to develop, to match the, as much as possible the style and keep it as much as possible in the way that we want to play.